Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello, and welcome to this edition of uh, Voices in DevOps, where I'm delighted to, to welcome Liz Rice, who I've known for a few years, uh, not from a security perspective, interestingly, so I'm fascinated to know more about that. Uh, and I understand also now things to do with, with CNCF, and I haven't even said who you are yet. It's a, a technology evangelist with, with Aqua Security, Liz. Liz. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes. Right. Um, show, Liz. And um, <laughs> why, why are we talking here with you, Liz? What, what brings you to the DevOps party? Uh, what's your background and, and how did you arrive at this point? Sure. So my background is development, software engineering. Uh, and a few years ago, I got uh, through through a, a startup that I was working on, I got very interested in containers and involved with containers. Uh-huh. And that startup kind of died a death, but I was, as, you know, as is the way of startups, but um, I was, you know, fascinated by containers and I... Uh, I wanted to kind of keep in that field, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to uh, Aqua Security, who do security for containers and cloud-native software. Uh, and we hit it off uh, really, really well. And I've been there now for just over two years, learning a lot about security. So I'm kind of coming at it from a developer's point of view, um, but learning a lot about more the kind of ops side and the security side as I've been going. So hopefully I can kind of take that learning experience and share that with other people. And, and also, interestingly, you're coming to it from the point of view of more of a startup-y kind of um, having to do security, whereas it wouldn't necessarily have been the first thing you did, whereas a lot of enterprise companies are kind of already doing security and they're having to do DevOps. That's that true, sense. yes, yes. So yes. that must vary things. And um, uh, how, how did you get fascinated about containers? What, what was the, I don't know, glass of wine? One thing led to another? Was it a logical choice? What, what, how did that all happen? Um, I remember the first time anybody mentioned the word Docker and he was super enthusiastic. And he was like, this is going to change the way we ship software it's you know super exciting and at the time I thought okay yeah fine and I kept (laughs) you know learned more about it and then um I think at the point where I kind of realized how it how containers offer many different um you know attributes many different positive characteristics to different groups of people you know they so they make it easy to ship software repeatedly they make it easy for developers to run containers or to run software on their laptops they make it easy to run that same software in the cloud and then from a sort of architectural point of view they kind of help us start thinking about breaking uh, large applications into microservices you know container is a natural fit for those kind of subcomponents and then you can start thinking about how you secure not just the whole application but the kind of individual containers or in a kubernetes world the individual pods and um, there's there's all sorts of interesting 
aspects to containers. Plus, I really, really like the kind of um, how containers are actually made out of Linux kernel constructs. Mm-hmm. That's, that's me. You know, I get really, I can geek out about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in, interestingly, I was, I was writing about uh, um, what I coined the, the Goldilocks principle. I actually mentioned it in the last podcast. Um, so, uh, uh, but it's this this idea that uh, the module of software would be neither too big nor too small, uh, but just right. And that's really yes. hard to kind of, so what's just right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, how many services does it contain? Or what's the API look like? But actually, if you've been around the block a few times, you just kind of go, yeah, any bigger than that, it would just be messy. Um, any smaller than that, it would just be messy. And you're doing complexity at both ends of the scale. Um, but then I think the nature of um, uh, security is, where was I going with this? Yes, bear with me. So we've been trying to do that right for years. I mean, in the 70s and 60s and, and probably even before then, uh, mm. we've been trying to get that just rightness. The thing that changed in the 80s was distributed systems. And then the 90s, obviously, the internet. Um, and I think what we've seen with microservices is finally we're getting to a point where we can both do the just right thing and we can build in them in a massively scalable, distributed way. So it, it, it's easy for people like me to go, you know, sit on the outside as observers and go, ah, well, it's just what we had before. But actually, I think we are at a different point. Um, yeah, I think one of the it. things. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've we've added with this, uh, with containerization with microservices, is the idea of scaling different bits of function independently. I think that's one of the real strengths of this kind of cloud native approach you know you can it, you don't have to take your giant monolith and scale the whole thing you can just scale up the parts of the software that are actually busy at any given moment and i think that's a huge strength of this kind of architecture I mean, Sid, so i might ask you i'm going to try and say i understood that I I, 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 I heads up everyone before I did this podcast I said I'd occasionally play the the incompetent and I think this is one of those moments so bear with me so what we get with containers is not just the fact that you can have a separate uh, unit of of code that can be separately deployed but also then we can duplicate it and uh, sort of scale it out if you like that old old model of uh, distribution by having multiple versions of the same thing am I on the right track? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have never done this. I I confess. I mean, I've done a bit of PHP recently, but uh, this is this is beyond my ken. So, so carry on, please. So, I guess you can you can think about. um, Oh, I don't know. Let's say you're running an e-commerce website, and um, you have maybe some back-end processing that you do around stock. I don't know. Maybe updating levels of stock. And most of the time that back-end processing isn't really, you know, doing very much. So you can have, you don't need many resources dedicated to it. Um, But if you suddenly get, I don't know, a new delivery of stock, I'm not quite sure how this metaphor will go, but, um, you know, you suddenly need to process all that stock. You can spin up the containers that run the code that deal with updating your stock levels um, just sort of temporarily while you need to... um, you need to do that work uh-huh. meanwhile you know your order processing you know maybe whatever when you're busy on black friday you'd have a whole load of containers scaling up around payments 
you know, and, and taking orders. So being able to scale different parts of your system independently according to, to demand, is a, it's a real benefit of this architecture. And it's kind of what we had with virtual machines, but that was doing, doing it at an entire, the whole, you know, the whole stack level. That was obviously right. going to have overheads, whereas with containers, we're trying to kind of just have unique little units that then sit on the stack. Um, so as you say, it also runs on top of Linux, ultimately, doesn't it? Can you, can you run? Yes, of course you can run Kubernetes on top of Azure, can't you, as well? So Absolutely, yes. what's underneath. There are such things as window containers as well as Linux ones, although I pretty much at the point where, you know, we say that Windows is an operating system, that's pretty much everything I know about it. So right. I'm uh, much and, more knowledgeable about Linux. <laughs> and uh, there's, it, it, should say, before I get into my, my wrist slapped by, by the people over at AWS, that it doesn't all have to be Docker either. It's... Uh, um, there, there are other models or Kubernetes. So, well, there you go. yeah, that that is one of the interesting things about the way the landscape is evolving, and there are lots of different um, tools and platforms out there that you know might suit different enterprise needs you know, differently. Um, there's, you know, Docker have have in the last uh, what year embraced Kubernetes, so that's kind of been quite a big shift. We also see. Um, it used to be the case that the the, the runtime, the, the kind of low-level part that actually runs your container, was always essentially a Docker component. But we're seeing increasingly things like Cryo from Red Hat that um, are a separate and different runtime. And um, uh, okay, yeah, which is a level of detail that you know most you know it's it's pretty pretty down in the weeds um you know it's not the first thing to to think about but it's interesting that there are all these different components that can be swapped in and out um and that's one of the interesting things when we think about it from an aqua perspective and you know being able to secure your containers whatever your runtime is and and whatever the platform is and whether you're i mean as you mentioned amazon you know you might be using something like fargate or azure containers as a service um Azure container instances. They're all different ways of running containers and being able to apply the same security principles wherever you're running your containers. Because you can take the same container image and run it anywhere, but being able to hook those containers together, you know, sort of connect them together and, and do things like security around them um, is a bit more of a challenge. Well, let's let's get on to that. I mean, certainly what, what I've seen from an observatorial Standpoint. Can I use that word? Does that word even exist? I don't care. Um, certainly, what I've seen is that over the past two years, people have gone, ah, oh, why not just use Kubernetes? That's that that'll do. There's a kind of default, and suddenly everyone's talking about that. And there may be a lot of other choices, but because um, it didn't suddenly appear in a vacuum with no other choices, but mm. generally that's the kind of default statement. And then I think it's borne out in some research that I was uh, doing around, I think while only a small number of organizations overall are fully embracing Kubernetes as their kind of first thing, most organizations are talking about it as what they would use. Um, so, so that's the mindset. But then as we get on to having chosen the way that you're going to do it, then you get into whatever you're using, these uh, higher level issues start start to arise. So sure, we want to build a massively distributed system. 
yeah, but is it secure? Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> how do I know? Uh, but so I'm not going to second guess what kinds of challenges uh, uh, you hit as uh, as as Acker and as yourself. Um, maybe just run us through um, uh, what kinds of challenges that are faced by by people trying to build these distributed systems from a security perspective. So there are lots of things that you can do to improve security throughout the life cycle of a container. But I think one of the key um, challenges that we, we sometimes see is recognising that traditional security tools don't always um, give you everything you need. Um, the key difference is that now your code is sitting inside these container images and then uh-huh. sort of at the point where you're running it, it's sitting inside containers, and you need tools that understand how to get inside those images and inside those containers. And the reason why they want to get inside is um, to check for vulnerabilities. The, the biggest problem in security, it doesn't matter whether it's traditional or container architectures, is um, known vul- or people exploiting known vulnerabilities. And, um, you know, if you're familiar with things like Heartbleed or Shellshock, they're kind of famous vulnerabilities, but there are plenty of other, um, uh-huh. thousands of other vulnerabilities out there. And uh, it, when I talk to people and they say, what's the one thing that I should do to improve my, you know, if I was only going to do one thing, what should I do? And my answer to that is scan your container images for known vulnerabilities. Um, which in a DevOps environment, you want to do, you want to automate that process. You can build it into your CI, CD pipeline. Um, depending on the scanner you're using, you may have um, you know, different levels of kind of granularity around the, the rules you can apply. But the fundamental thing you're trying to do is don't run a container image that has a high severity vulnerability. Um, Call me old-fashioned, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then that leads you to the next question of, well, how do you know which containers you're running? Are your containers approved? Have you, um, you know, have you just pulled this container from, you know, the random internet, or is it something that you have actually scanned and checked and and now came from the source that you expected it to come from? So tools like Aqua will do the scanning for you, but they will also validate at the point where you deploy a container that it was scanned and it meets your criteria and then you can get to the last part which I just kind of I find the most fascinating part about container security which is runtime if you think about your um, microservice that is just doing one job it may only need one executable to do that one job or maybe it's got a few initialization processes and then it runs and if you can police that container and make sure that you at least spot if it runs something unusual and ideally prevent it from running something unusual, that's hugely powerful. And it's something you couldn't really do in traditional deployments because there'd be so many, so many different processes running on your virtual machine. It was pretty hard to spot something anomalous. But inside a container, there's not so much going on. So it's much easier to detect those anomalous behaviors. And uh, I, I, you know, you can see the real power of that for detecting uh, ongoing attacks. It's, it's very, very cool. I, I can see the power. I can also see the huge challenge uh, from the point of view of um, 
in the old days, you'd just say, is your application secure? And you can you can run a code scanner, you can um, you know, scan the library, scan the, and then you've got one executable and you go, yeah, I'm pretty confident on that one. Whereas now, um, I don't know how many containers you might end up with at a runtime level. They could, and I don't, and I don't know where they would be. So it it's both the power, but also the the, the, the challenge is you basically not got such an easy notion of an application anyway. For sure. Um, I mean, we we typically see you know. 100 200 microservices in the deployment that's that's not uncommon i mean some people are just Mm -hmm. containerizing one giant um application that also happens but um when people are breaking things you know they've got a microservices architecture hundreds is pretty common and then you might have potentially dozens or hundreds of instances of each container image so you cannot do it manually you have to have automation to do all the scanning to, to validate your containers as they're being deployed. And anything that you try to do manually would quickly turn into a nightmare. <laughs> and so each one of those, essentially, you can, I don't know, flag as green. Just, uh, yeah, got 200 things running out there, and we scanned all of them. And uh, as far as known vulnerabilities are concerned, easy for me, I need to put my teeth in when I say that one. Uh, <laughs> as far as known known problems are concerned, um we've scanned everything um that we in our notional application for those things that's right yes yes and we didn't deploy anything that didn't meet our criteria um and if we subsequently because you know new vulnerabilities can get discovered and if we subsequently rescan it's a good idea to rescan your images every so often you might find oh a new vulnerability has been discovered in this dependency and it's in this image and this image so we need to identify all the we need to rebuild those images with the updated version of the dependency so that it doesn't have the vulnerability just like patching in the old days but potentially Uh quicker and we need to identify the running instances of the container with the old version and replace them with new versions and again, it's we, something we, that kind of needs to be done automatically because. Well, know, yeah, I was going to say it, it <laughs> brings me to a question, which is sure, I, I get the kind of turning everything from don't know to relatively green. Um, I say relatively because there could be things you've got to take a decision on, presumably. Well, it's a bit oh. dodgy, but <clears throat> that's that. It could be a risk, but we'll we'll run with it anyway. Uh, maybe sure. some amber's in there, uh, but then how to. Um, the phrase shift left keeps popping into my head. So uh, mm-hmm. get out, get out. I'll let you um how to make sure that you're not re- introducing new ones. Um, I can see you, for example, turning up with your box of CDs or whatever anyone does these days. Like, <laughs> I'm making that, you know, what it, and we, going, we ship yeah, home okay. using containers these days, you know, John. I know, I know. I, I, I've assessed, I, I still remember how many floppies there were for Go Unix, you know, it's a, uh, Oh yeah. Remember that? Put them all in. Um it um as a one shot, I get it. As a how to integrate it into the software development lifecycle and into the CI C D pipeline and so on. Harder, isn't it? Or or is it just a case of well we just drop a you know just make sure it always goes through our filter and jobs are good and or or is there a process work that needs to take place? How, how do you how do you 
how do you get over that hump? Yeah, so it's, it, it's basically a case of adding it into the CICD pipeline. Um, you mentioned shift left, and, and that's all about trying to move things as far left in that pipeline as you can. Um, so doing things like scanning your containers at the point where you're building them so that developers can see whether or not they're, you know, if, the, if they've pulled in some dependency that has a problem, they can see that really early on in the, in the life cycle. Um, having things like um, scanning kind of as a plugin for common tools like Jenkins, you, know, you just drop the plugin in and it will automatically scan your images as they're built and, and before they get pushed into the um, container registry. Um, so th that's a very common model. And I think that's you know, the, the key to, to, you know, to getting past this hump is, is adding that automation in early into the, you know, in your, in your adoption of a DevOps process, having security, thinking about how you can plug that in. Um, yeah, Cause it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's like all these things, you know, it's not rocket science, but you just have to do the work to get the plug-in into your, into your pipeline. And then that gives you a ton of useful information. I'll throw something in here because I, I was talking about, hey, yeah, security by design, shift left, that whole, the model where you're just building things securely in the first place is a really good thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the pushback I got on it was not at the expense of, innovation uh when we're just try, we want to try 20 different things 20 different ways of doing something and at that point we don't know which one's going to be the best we don't want to add so while it would be my my view that you could you could be thinking about security across all 20 they're saying we just yeah you know, that would mean we could only do we could only try out 15 different ways of doing things because we don't have yeah you know, unlimited time so um, are those, does that reflect the kind of conversations you're having with, with, with organizations or are they, do they just suck it up and get up, get on with it? But yeah, it, it, I, came from, it came from a CIO. So, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm liable to take it, take it as reliable again. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me that if you, you know, you want to take your security seriously and to be fair, as a security company, we tend to be having conversations with people who are, you know, concerned about security and want to do best practices. Once you've dropped those tool, tools into your pipeline, you know, it, it really doesn't make any difference whether you're, you, know, you may as well run them on everything. And, you know, does it take time to run a, you know, a, a vulnerability scanner over an image? Sure, it takes a bit of time, but it's, it's a price worth paying to make sure you're not running with, you know, the same vulnerability as, you know the struts vulnerability you know, it's um it, i think it would be a um what do you call it you know like a false economy false economy to, uh -huh. to shortcut you know scanning things before you put them into a production environment at the very least um yeah. and this is i mean to be fair what you're talking about is vulnerability scanning as opposed to um people doing the stupid scanning um, yeah, I mean, so, things like, um, you know, the static analysis stuff is is valuable. It's never going to get everything, you know, it's going to be perfectly possible to write insecure code that gets past a static analysis tool, um, which is no, it's not supposed to be a criticism of static analysis. It's just a very difficult problem. Um, 
you know, in, in general to say my code is definitely secure. That's a really hard thing to say. Um, but why not, why not just run the tools? You know, if you have them available, just, just run them. Yeah, you, know, I mean, run them overnight. you don't have to have them block your deployment process. If you're in a real hurry, you could just run them overnight after the event. If you really, really, really wanted to push things quickly. But your, your stuff deals with, it's essentially about an automation overhead as opposed to a process overhead. overhead. Uh, whereas yes. uh, static analysis, that kind of have you coded it in a secure way uh, is more about process overheads because then, I mean, yeah, peer review and that kind of thing is, is possibly um, it's not unavoidable. It, it, it It's still going to be one of the best ways of yeah, just, just a, another human who's looked at, who, who knows that For kind sure. of yes. problem space. Oh mate! Yes. <laughs> you need to analyze that. Otherwise, what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. And you know, humans will still be. However much we talk about automation, humans and expertise is always going to be, you know, a core requirement for writing and shipping software. Um, so I think sometimes people worry that their jobs are going to be automated away, and there's going to be plenty more, you know human eyes are going to be needed on code for some time to come. Uh-huh. But interestingly, so, it, I mean, sort of with Aqua and, and more broadly, um, we were at a stage, I always seem to go back 20 years, it's my, definitely my comfort zone. Um, we <laughs> were at a stage 20 years ago where uh, antivirus software, for example, uh, so desktop vulnerability scanning was the exception. And then, we kind of passed the point where, oh yeah, of course you've got to do it, and then everyone, yeah, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't not have an antivirus, scanner. right, right, and then it became part of the platform. Uh, with 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 tools like yours, it seems to be that you're still kind of, um, and feel free to contradict me on this, but you're still seen as the exception, and you're going, look, mate, you need to have this stuff, um, and would it be that in eighteen months' time, in five years' time, whenever? People just kind of go, yeah, of course, and it just becomes part of the platform. Or, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to tell, you know, sort of scientifically, but anecdotally, I would certainly say that, you know, when I was first getting involved in this sort of security side of containers, not very many people knew about vulnerability scanning at all. And now, you know, there's quite a few tools out there. There's, you know, the commercial tools like Aquas. We also have a free one called Microscanner. And there's an open source scanner called Claire. You know, there's lots of options out there that people are using pretty broadly, I'd say. And uh-huh. um, uh, I, I don't know what the percentage of adoption is, but I'm sure it's on the up. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, still room to room to improve, but... Uh, I, I don't. I, I think normally these days, if I do a talk and I talk about vulnerability scanning, not everybody's going to say they're doing it, but a larger proportion of hands will go up. Do you get people? I mean, does anyone ever say, "Yeah, I can't be bothered with that," or is it all? You know, it's a fair cop. Actually, not so much. I can't be bothered with that. What I have heard is false positives are a nightmare. Um, and I actually was speaking to, um, this is probably 18 months ago now, but a, a large German retailer who had been using, you know, an, an open source scanner and he'd given up on it because he just felt that they were spending so much time tracking down false positives 
that the benefit was getting lost in you know this overhead um mm -hmm. so that is a concern um and it's it's one of the things that differentiates you know one scanner from another um mm -hmm. and you really pitched that, there that was good well i try not <laughs> Yeah, this is a but, podcast, not a webinar. Uh, yeah, exactly. But the reason why you get these false positives is because um, mostly vulnerability data, or the sort of core source for vulnerability data, is this thing called the National Vulnerability Database. Because um, it's American, so therefore, obviously, it's national rather than international. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. It's and, like national Baseball uh, Championship. Yes. <laughs> the World Series. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but they, they have... Uh, a great database there of telling you which um, version of a particular library or which versions rather are susceptible to any given vulnerability. But what they don't have in the NVD is any information about patches. If you have a Linux distribution, it may or may not have a number of these um, vulnerabilities patched. In, uh -huh. So you could be using a version of the library that is the base version with the vulnerability, but plus a patch. So you don't actually have a problem. And um, the more sources of information that scanners take, like um, information from vendors about their distributions or information from vendors about their particular um, components of their software, the more sources of data, generally speaking, the less likely you are to have false positives. Um, but it's, if anybody ever tells you that they have no false positives from their vulnerability scanner, they are lying. <laughs> so if, if you could wave a magic wand, other than use our stuff, um, to get uh, organizations just better at DevOps security, for, for one to, you know, let's keep it scoped, um, what would be the main thing you would advise, the main thing that you would change, the main thing that you would want to just see being done differently right now? Oh, well, um, I I think it really, if, you know, if there's just one thing, it's get that vulnerability scanning built into your pipeline, just have that, you know, automatically failing builds if you're um, if you're hitting high severity vulnerabilities, that would be a huge step for any organization that's not currently doing anything. If they are doing scanning, I would say the next step is make sure that you've got a process, some kind of gating, some sort of um, admission control um, setup to make sure that what you run in your deployment has been scanned and has been given the thumbs up. Because um, there's a huge potential if you if 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 you don't have any checks there, there's a huge potential for deploying the wrong images that have not been through your beautifully set up pipeline. So I'm sorry, I cheated there and said two things. No, 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 that's fine. So you said <laughs> you essentially answered the question uh, exactly as I put it, which is do the scanning, but then have a framework around it. I hesitate before I use the word framework. Uh, have 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 enough structure around it to make sure that you take the scanning into account in the correct way, right? Um, yeah, and and so you're not just deploying rubbish anyway, uh, or yeah, insecure stuff anyway. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so I think we're 
running up against time there. So um, I think uh, we'll leave that as the last word. And um, it does kind of, I'm actually not going to leave that as the last word. No, I'm going to say uh, it does kind of surprise me that vulnerability scanning is still so new with containers. Um, And um, so where do you think things will be in two years' time? And then we'll wrap up. I think the reason why vulnerability scanning is new is because this whole adoption of DevOps is is still new for a lot of organizations. So, you know, there's a huge number of enterprises still finding their way around this. Um, But I think we're going to see in two years' time, I mean, just looking at the growth of end users who come to KubeCon, for example, and talk about their experiences, it's gone from you know, a, a few outliers to a lot of enterprises. You know, almost everybody is adopting containers. And I think if they're doing it in any kind of serious way, in two years' time, we're going to see the conversation will have moved on from vulnerability scanning. That will be a, a you know, a known obvious thing. And we'll be much more talking about the runtime features and the kind of the 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 things we can do to protect against zero days. And that yeah, I guess super exciting. <laughs> it, it goes through that way. So, yes, yeah, sure, let's do this. It's the forming, storming, norming, performing thing, isn't it? So everyone's saying right now they're forming and saying, let's do this. They'll go through the storming of, oh, didn't realize it would be so hard. And then we'll get into the norming, which is where vulnerability scanning and a lot of other things will become more default than exception. Yeah. Uh, and then into proper performance well let's see if it takes two years or how long it's going to take maybe even faster it's moving so fast this world it is moving very fast well with that with that in mind uh we best get on with it haven't we so uh, right. it remains to me to say thank you so much Liz, for joining me on this podcast and uh i certainly learned a lot and uh i hope uh, you out there the audience did too uh, if you've got any questions uh we'll be uh uh, uh tweeting uh um your uh, uh, Twitter handle, uh, Liz. So if you've got any questions for Liz, uh, please do uh, uh, respond via Twitter and, and we'll, endeavor to, um, we'll endeavor to respond. Thank you, Liz. Sounds great. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report, or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.